Here we go. The official show on the Fist Stripes podcast is back. I'm Eli Sussman, managing editor at Fist Stripes, hosting my solo show here on a Thursday morning, coming off a much-needed Marlins win. As usual, this show is presented by Symbol, the stock market for sports. You'll be hearing more about them later in the show. Here on Thursday, uh, heading into the series finale, uh, against the Diamondbacks and coming off the first win of the series, first win of the week for the Marlins to snap their four-game losing streak. On this episode, mostly a laser focus on two players, the winning pitcher on Wednesday in his Major League debut, Cody Pote, former guest on the Fish Traps podcast. You may remember him from 2019. And also a comparison between Jesus Aguilar, the Marlins' leading run producer right now. He's had an incredible first 20-25% of this season, and I'm seeing some similarities between him and one of the best first basemen in Marlins history, so we'll dive into that. And then at the end, just a lot of miscellaneous news and notes about uh, our rehabbing key players like Jazz Chisholm Jr. and Jorge Alfaro, uh, some other tidbits from the most recent game, and a plug for some of the programming we have coming up here on Fish Stripes in the Friday and throughout the weekend and for the foreseeable future that we hope you guys will like and engage with. On Wednesday, most of this was recapped on our small pod this morning, hosted by Daniel Rodriguez. You get those every Tuesday through Friday here on the same podcast channel. He went through the 3-2 to two win over the Diamondbacks. Nah, not a comfortable win. And uh, just to head out in directions that maybe he didn't touch on uh, what made this win so unique is that it was a one run game final score of three to two the Marlins scoring all three of their runs very early and then clinging for dear life at the very end for the most part we have seen those games slip away from the Marlins this year we talk about it a lot how they for weeks now have had the best run differential in the National League East and yet been kind of buried now in fourth place in the division not not really challenging for the lead uh, underperforming their expected performance in terms of their runs scored and runs allowed just because in these close games uh, things are not going their way maybe you want to point to certain decisions that Don Mattingly has been make, making or uh, single out some individual players for not coming through in the clutch but in this game uh, they do hold on for that one run win and now three and eight this year in one run games so that's still something that you would hope evens out over the course of the year and allows this team to stick around the 500 mark if not even tick above that a little bit the focus of, of this game, uh, Cody Poteet, right-handed pitcher who I was I was fascinated by. I was not overly optimistic about what I'd get from him from this performance, but he is so unique compared to a lot of the other players that are contributing to this Marlins team in 2021, uh, mainly because he is a holdover from the old regime, someone, someone that was taken in the heart of the Jeffrey Loria era way back in the 2015 draft. Uh, so, so he has been in this organization for almost six full years. This is technically his seventh professional season, and he finally gets the call up from AAA after an outstanding first performance in AAA that he gets this opportunity to fill in and start. He wasn't on the 40-man roster. They had to designate Luis Madero for assignment right after Madero's major league debut. Poteet becomes the 10th starting pitcher that the Marlins have used this season. 
And I don't think it's any exaggeration that coming off one outing, you have to feel that he is one of the top five starting pitchers that we have seen for the Marlins this season. Behind Sandy, behind Pablo, behind Trevor, probably behind Eliezer when Eliezer, we think, comes back from the injured list uh, within the next two weeks or so. And then I don't know if there's anybody else who's been more impressive in a starting role than Cody Poteet was on Wednesday night. Five innings pitched, two earned runs allowed, four hits, uh, six strikeouts, allows one home run in the process. As I posted on uh, the Fish Stripes Twitter account, it is a debut that is unlike any we've seen in Marlins history, if you want to get very particular about it, because striking out six with zero walks in a Marlins Major League debut has never happened. Never. Think about that. The closest that somebody has come to that was actually Sixto Sanchez. Last year, making his debut, struck out four in his five innings pitched. So, Poteet, it should be remarked, of course, that last year, Universal DH, Sixto had to face a lineup of all position players who knew what they were doing up there. Poteet had the benefit of facing an opposing pitcher. He struck out Matt Peacock, so that was one of his strikeouts. And even still, five strikeouts, no walks in a major league debut in Marlins history had never happened before. And some of his measurables really jumped off the page. I mean, the scouting report on him in the Marlins season in the Marlins system, we've gotten such a long look at him because he's been in here for, as I said, parts of seven minor league seasons, over 500 professional innings. He had a great track record of throwing strikes. He had a good track record of durability. I mean, the last couple minor league seasons, 2018, 2019, I believe he gave them more total minor league innings those two years than anybody else in the organization. So that's something that you tip your hap- tip your cap to. He had a diverse pitch mix. If you remember him, Brief appearance on our podcast in August 2019. He has a five-pitch mix, four-seamer, two-seamer, slider, curveball, changeup. We saw basically all of that in this performance. Uh, but the knock on him is that he just was not going to be able to miss bats at the major league level and that uh, his fastball velocity uh, generally in the low 90s and sometimes not even that high in some of the outings where he had success, even in the high minor leagues, and that, that would not make the jump over. Uh, last year... Uh, following him pretty closely. I know when he was doing some work independently, he was showing that his fastball velocity was up, that he was hitting the mid-90s, and then he did get uh, at least a portion of the summer he spent at the alternate training site in Jupiter during the 2020 season, even though he was not seriously considered for a call-up at that time. In spring training, a quick glimpse of him, we saw the Vila was up a little bit, and same thing in his very first AAA outing right before this call-up. Uh, all that being said, it's different when you actually see it at the major league level. And in this appearance, not only reaching the mid 90s, but sitting in the mid 90s with his fastball topping out at 96.8 miles per hour. His fastball velo in the start was just as good, if not slightly higher, than Jordan Holloway. And yet Poteet comes here. Um, Kind of out of nowhere. I mean, Craig Mish gave us a heads up about him potentially starting this game because he was on the taxi squad that was with the team on this road trip. That was a little fuzzy as who exactly was even available to be called up in this situation. And Poteet gets the nod. And I mean, the fastball is what jumps off the page immediately. But watching the game, it was also the fact that he had 
good command of all of his off-speed pitches as well. He had a couple key curveballs that he was painting the corner with. He was keeping his changeup low in the zone. In addition to the great fastball velo, he's keeping the four-seamer up and the changeup low. That's such a basic fundamental of quality pitching that as long as you are releasing those two pitches uh, the same way, but they're winding up in very different locations, you're going to get a lot of results. And we got to give credit to his slider as well. This is one where the measurables on that jump off the page. A 50% called strike plus whiff rate, CSW, which is a stat I'll be using more moving forward just to give you an idea of how much a pitcher is dominating the game by getting called strikes and by missing bats, things that they can basically control themselves. And uh, so the slider, he only threw it 10 times, but when he threw it, it was great. And uh, a key that makes you really confident in it moving forward is the spin rate that he got on that slider. Maxed out at 2,868 revolutions per minute, it averaged 2,764. That doesn't mean much to you unless I put it into context. That spin rate on his slider is higher than anybody else on the Marlins pitching staff this season by a pretty big margin, too. Um, the leaders, top five this season in average slider spin rate, five, Yimmy Garcia, you know that, great slider, John Curtis, four, and same thing with Curtis, that's a key pitch for him, that he's had a lot of success with. Number three is actually Paul Campbell, who unfortunately is not going to be available for the foreseeable future. Number two is, you know, my personal favorite, Anthony Bender, great slider, and that's gotten good results from him in this small sample in the majors. Number one is Cody Poteet, and it's 130 revolutions per minute higher than any of these other pitchers on the Marlins staff with his slider spin rate. So as long as he continues to have a general idea of where that pitch is going, uh, you would expect a lot of movements to come on that pitch, a lot of late movement, and a lot of positive results. Uh, just thankful, pitching with a thankful heart. I mean, a little bit nervous, but just focused on executing and just what a blessing it was to have this opportunity. So just pitching with a thankful heart. So five innings for Poteet. Um, almost five great innings. That home run in the fifth on, a, I guess that was a hanging curveball, right? that uh, brought the game within some doubt in the, that moment. And, of course, the game was kind of uh, dicey all the way to the very end. So that kind of downgraded the start from from great to just fine. He hung a curveball to pinch hitter Andrew Young when he was just one out away from getting through that fifth inning. He's on the 40-man now. We know that they'll need uh, another fifth starter on this road trip, even with the off day coming up uh, on Monday. So the next turn for Poteet would probably be on Tuesday. We'll see exactly how Don Mattingly wants to move that around, but I would absolutely expect him to uh, start again in that Philadelphia Phillies series. Uh, it's just a really refreshing story, and for, honestly, it's it's a surprise to see that the Marlins trusting him in this situation, trusting him at all at this stage of his career. We have seen uh, in case after case after case, even with guys that you haven't even noticed getting booted from the organization because they were acquired under the old regime. They were valued for different reasons that perhaps the new front office doesn't quite value as much. And they aren't given this opportunity to contribute at the major league level. Yet the Marlins and Poteet obviously gets a lot of credit for this, um, working on his game during the pandemic season and getting this opportunity to reach the majors to perform 
with his his wife and his his child in attendance for this game in Arizona. That was awesome to see. A couple looks at that from uh, the Bally Sports Florida broadcast crew. Just a beautiful moment. Um, really, one of the more important moments of the season, knowing that the team was in the midst of a long losing streak. They got kind of a blessing in this one that Zach Gallen was scratched at the last minute and placed on the injured list hoping for him to make a full recovery because one, uh, you like it or hate it that the Marlins don't have him anymore. He's one of the more dynamic pitchers in baseball, period. So hoping he gets back healthy and that we get to see a matchup with him in the future and for years to come. But in this game, they get to face Matt Peacock. They jump on him early, and then they fail to add on from uh, that point forward. So they needed a good pitching performance to finally snap this losing streak. And so they looked to even the series on Thursday. You like their chances with Trevor Rogers, extra rest for Trevor coming into this game that uh, he seems to have the advantage in this one. Uh, hopefully uh, a couple key bats that were let rested on Wednesday for the Marlins. Brian Anderson, well, didn't get the start, but came off the bench. Garrett Cooper, who we have a long article on Fish Tribes about Garrett Cooper and where he's at, that uh, there's still some hope for him to bounce back. That um, Things are set up all right for them to split the series which is not the outcome you wanted going in, but uh, it's certainly better than the worst case scenario. So how are you feeling about the state of the Marlins at this phase at 17, at 16 and 20 record heading into, uh, yeah, as I get into the heart of this road trip, if you're feeling confident, you could head over to Symbol. Here at Fish Stripes, we're celebrating two months of partnership with Symbol, the stock market for sports, where they allow you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when those teams win. The Marlins have uh, been winning enough that they're a lot higher as, as a stock right now than entering this season. Sim Marlins currently priced at $29.01 per share. I mean, that's a far cry from being under 20 bucks at the start of the Major League season, and they could keep going up if they get these key reinforcements back. At Symbol, you can invest in MLB teams, NFL teams, NBA teams. doesn't have to be the Marlins. Maybe you feel that the Dodgers are finally hitting their stride just as the Marlins are coming to town this weekend, and you want to buy in on Sim Dodgers, that's available too on their website. You can join more than 2,000 early adopters who have already started to invest. It's www.simbull.app, symbol.app, to create your free account. You can go there and enter our promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, FISHSTRIPES, and that gets you a $10 deposit bonus. Or you could just click the link in the podcast description on our website. We make it very easy to start up with Symbol. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports on Symbol. The other star from Wednesday's game, aside from Cody Poteet on the offensive side, Jesus Aguilar. And that's been the case for basically most of the season, and especially when the Marlins are on the road. He is arguably the best road hitter in all of baseball this season, if you look it up. The park-adjusted stats, of course, hitting all nine of his home runs this season on the road, and the vast majority of his National League-leading runs batted in, also coming in road games. He's been incredible. Uh, again, I have that article up about Garrett Cooper's struggles this year. It's um, You need to at least acknowledge the fact that Cooper thought he would be getting some significant playing time at first base this year, that Aguilar, despite the positives he brings to the table, uh, without the DH, there was the expectation that he would be something less than a full-time player, 
And from the word go, I mean, he has seized that first base job. He had that long on-base streak to start the season, and then the power kicked in once he got those arepas back into his diet. That was the key, at least uh, in his opinion, and it's showing up on the field. Delightful home run in the first inning of this game. I took a screenshot of it that the ball was most of the way to home plate before he even started his swing, and yet he was able to pull it all the way down the left field line off the foul pole. You just do not see players with hands as quick as that. There's been some great analysis about Aguilar recently, uh, smarter people than I, on a pitcher list and on fan graphs. I will link to those articles in the uh, podcast uh, article or podcast description on our website at Fishstripe, so you could find that analysis more easily. That Aguilar has reinvented himself. That there are indications that he doesn't have the same raw strength that he did a few years ago when he was an All Star. And yet he is producing at the best level of his career because he is swinging at the right pitches, he's getting good counts, and he still has that remarkable coordination, That such a skilled hitter. And it's not a perfect comp, but one guy I I do get some familiar feelings about, you have to go way back to find the last time the Marlins really had a first baseman like this. Yes, there were some positives uh, during the Justin Bohr era, um, you could go back a little bit further. Gabby Sanchez, Rookie of the Year, and uh, a nice year after that. They had um, yeah that in-between period as well in the mid-2000s, some Mike Jacobs mixed in there. But really, 2005, Carlos Delgado. Won't, I'm not going to compare their careers overall on the same page. You know that's unfair to Delgado, who was a borderline Hall of Famer when all was said and done. And uh, you need to really appreciate what he was able to accomplish throughout the 90s and throughout much of the 2000s, including in 2005. And it's not a perfect comp because of their age. I mean, Delgado was in his age 33 season, Aguilar in his age 31 season. He has that birthday later in June. But the similarities in the production so far are remarkable. You'll remember Delgado that year. um, It was the first year of a four-year contract, and he had 33 home runs, 115 RBIs, 301 batting average, uh, OPS 981. He finished sixth in NL National League MVP voting, even though that team fell short of its goals and I think fell short of a lot of people's expectations in uh, 2005. But he was an on-base machine, and he was such a solid producer at first base, power to all fields. The comparisons are remarkable statistically to this point in the season. Uh, Delgado, that 981 OPS, Aguilar entering Thursday's play, a 958 OPS. Almost the same, but actually, when you take a stock of where we are in Major League Baseball in terms of the run environments, where this year offense is way down from where it's been um, in the recent history, that that Jesus is having the better league-adjusted offensive output. Very slightly, but he has the edge over Delgado to this point. Um, in terms of OPS plus, he's 63% above the league average, where Delgado was 61%. In terms of weighted runs created plus, there's an, also like a three-point gap there between Aguilar and Delgado in favor of Aguilar. He's been, yeah, he really has been spectacular. There's not enough superlatives for that. An interesting place where Aguilar really distinguishes himself is defensively. Now, uh, I mean, 16 years ago, it's 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 going to be hard for me to evaluate a defensive season uh, that far back in my memory banks with Delgado. Um, for whatever reason, uh, at least when you look back at the numbers on it from defensive runs saved, from total runs 
saved, uh, total zone runs, that any way you try to quantify it, that Delgado's 2005 season was statistically the worst defensive season of his entire career. So I'm not sure that really measures up. I don't want to like deduct too much from his contributions that year just based on those defensive estimations. But that drags him down to uh, about a three-win player during that 2005 season, which was, it's pretty crazy for a guy that was actually that borderline MVP candidate to only be a three-win player. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and assume he wasn't as much as a liability there as he is this season. Uh, With Aguilar, even though you know what he looks like, you know uh, the athleticism is somewhat limited, uh, at least in terms of his, his agility and all that, but as an overall defensive first baseman, he's doing a fine job this year. Uh, obviously, the punctuation point on Wednesday's game was making that line drive catch and turning it into a double play to seal the victory at one run, one, one run win. And uh, maybe he gets some credit for being positioned in the right places. I've been very complimentary of what the Marlins coaching staff has done with Trey Hillman and getting these fielders in the right spots. So I guess that puts him in a nice position to succeed if he's someone that is limited in terms of his mobility. But he's a sure-handed guy. He's got those great reflexes. And overall, he grates out as as something relatively close to a league average defensive first baseman. So that's going to make a key difference. So can he like sustain this with what Aguilar, with what uh, Delgado did? Because at this moment, he's played uh, almost one quarter of as much playing time as Delgado had, and he's on pace for more home runs. He's on pace for like 37, 38 home runs instead of Delgado's 33. He's on pace for 130-something runs batted in to where Delgado had uh, 115. That he's uh, a lot of little things, too, that because he's elevating the ball more, he's not grounding into double plays. Uh, Aguilar has only hit into three double plays at this stage of the season, um, which, I mean, you prorate that out and it's still a significant number, but he's kind of, he's a guy that would be very easy to double off if he's not elevating the ball. And the fact that he's doing so is, is remarkable. And really the biggest, uh, most fascinating development for Jesus is that he doesn't strike out anymore. I mean, with Delgado, for as great a career as he had, he was always somewhat prone to swinging and missing, especially compared to like the norms during that era. He was striking out 20% of the time, league average of 16, 17%. And we know with the trend that that has gone. I mean, there are more strikeouts than ever in today's game. It's nearly 25% of the time. And yet this season, Jesus Aguilar is only striking out 15.9% of the time. It is a career best for him, a career low, in other words, that he is putting the ball in play. And we saw him make a nice strides in that department last year. We've had articles about it on our site from Juan Pais. Juan Pais is a huge Aguilar advocate. And that trend has just kept on going. It uh, it defies a lot of what the typical aging curve looks like, that with these first baseman only types, they can they can kind of disappear very suddenly once uh, their bat speed dips a little bit and sometimes they compromise their approach in order to still have opportunities to hit home runs. And, and with Aguilar, he has gone in a different direction. He's just totally elevated his game in that he's still hitting those home runs without compromising his ability to make contact and to take walks. He's also drawing walks at the highest rate of his career, 12.3%. 
Yeah, his walk rate, almost identical to what Delgado's was back in 2005. Again, the power right now is even a little bit ahead of where uh, Delgado was. Uh, granted, he's now playing in Lone Depot Park, where they brought in the fences a little bit, and yet, but he hasn't had any home runs at home yet. So he's not even taking advantage of slightly narrower uh like dimensions at his home ballpark yet he's doing it all on the road which honestly makes it a little too early to gauge exactly where the season is going once he does play uh, more games at home because he wouldn't be the first he's hardly the only player on this team that has those bizarre reverse splits where they're so much better away from Miami than they are playing in front of the home fans we'll need a larger sample to balance that out because Marlins in the midst of another long road trip I think more so than any other team in baseball, the first third or so of their schedule is extremely heavy on road games. The Marlins have to be thrilled with what has happened uh, with Aguilar. I mean, I, I guess the final point I want to make about these two is uh, their salary. So technically, Jesus Aguilar is making more money this year than Carlos Delgado was in the first year of his free agent deal with the Marlins. And if you know anything about that Jeffrey Loria era, then maybe that doesn't surprise you. You know that Delgado's contract was extremely backloaded. Only a $4 million base salary during that first year. They ended up trading him after that 2005 season, blowing it up to strip down payroll heading into 2006 and dumping most of that contract on the New York Mets. And uh, he, he beat up the Marlins a little bit in the next few years following that, helping the Mets make at least one playoff berth, if not a couple during those ensuing years. With Aguilar, they're just going year by year. He's still in the midst of his arbitration years. He's eligible again next year. Uh, There was some question as to whether they'd bring him back this year, knowing there was that uncertainty about the designated hitter. Ultimately, they didn't even have the DH for this season, despite holding out hope until kind of the last minute. It's, it's something that we've mentioned time and again on here, how that has hurt the Marlins. They had plans. It was pretty clear that Major League Baseball wouldn't tip their hands, but uh, the Marlins expected eventually there to be that compromise between the league and the players' union. It didn't happen. They got stuck in this situation. Um, for a variety of reasons, Garrett Cooper has been a big victim of that scenario, but Jesus Aguilar has not made any excuses. He is starting basically six games a week at first base, doing a fantastic job at it in a year where first base production in the National League is pretty terrible. So he is, without a doubt, in the midst of those all-star conversations for the first time since 2018, and he is such a great ambassador for the game. Just on top of everything else, such a quality teammate, someone who crosses that aisle between English speakers and Spanish speakers and and media and fans, everybody. He, uh, He is awesome. And uh, the Marlins have to be thrilled with what they're getting out from him. Some very interesting decisions coming down the pipeline because Lewin Diaz, who's personally one of my favorite prospects in the system at first base, he is off to a good start in AAA Jacksonville. Uh, We know that the Marlins internally were pretty high on him as recently as last spring, that I don't think they're going to keep him in the minors all season long. He's going to be pushing to come come up eventually that they... I don't think they're going to trade Lewin at any point right now that they're but maybe Jesus Aguilar makes that just a very fascinating decision because even if you don't think Aguilar is going to do this for the next five years, the next eight years, that uh, you can't really expect much more from a player than what he's giving them right now. So at the very least, it has uh, boosted his trade value if they decide to unload Aguilar and sell high on him 
uh, if this team falls out of contention a little bit. Uh, the hope, of course, is that there'll be a universal designated hitter last year, so maybe they don't need to rush into anything, that they can just count on the DH coming back. If they're willing to give Aguilar a substantial raise in arbitration next year, they have the the rights to do so, and uh, you hope they take advantage of that. This is a team that historically has not done that because they've liked to pinch pennies, always looking for cheaper solutions, And uh, but when Aguilar performs at this level and knowing what he means to this clubhouse as well, that uh, he's he's a great value, and it's been a great find uh, for this team. So on the next episode, I think we're going to get into a little bit of where players stand in terms of their trade value and how that has fluctuated since the start of the season, both in terms of players on the Marlins organization who how how they rate as trade bait at this moment, and and also if you're looking towards key acquisitions for the Marlins to make, how certain trade targets are being valued on other teams that might match up with the Marlins. So we're going to play around with that a little bit, never too early to begin looking at trades as we come up on the one quarter point of the season. Uh, Thanks for listening, as always, to the official show, and thanks for supporting our partners at Symbol. Make your deposit, if you haven't already, with our promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word. Try to tune in on Friday. We, once again, will be doing a FISHSTRIPES Live series preview live stream available on Twitter, on Twitch, on YouTube. Just follow us on all those places and uh, you'll get the heads up about when we're going live an hour prior to the start of that series on Friday night, counting down to first pitch, checking in with the Marlins when they should be getting some key players back from the injured list. Well, at least one. I mean, we have, as we speak, uh, Jess Chisholm Jr., Jorge Alfaro preparing to take the field again for Triple uh, A Jacksonville. And if all goes well with them on Thursday, uh, potentially one, if not both of them, might be on a flight heading out west to L.A. to join the Marlins team and be reinstated off the injured list. From there, some fascinating roster decisions coming up with uh, this team. I'm sure we'll be reacting to those when this podcast comes back on Monday. All right. So Marlins, Diamondbacks coming up on Thursday night, small pod Friday morning, Fish Stripes Live Friday night, and through it all, article coverage on fishstripes.com. That is your home base for daily Miami Marlins coverage that we do our own way. As always, go fish. <laughs>